0: I want to to share a message with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can get them ready. Uh, If you take notes here at church, we we do encourage that. We encourage you to get stuck in and, and really to go on a journey with us. Um, we're in John chapter number 15 this morning, so uh, you can turn over to John chapter number 15 and verse 1, and we're going to have some fun together today. Uh, I just love the way that God has been speaking to us. You know, we, 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 can, we can prepare, we can do what we can do, we can come and set up church, we can pack the chairs out, I can write the message um, and uh, and prepare what I think I want to say, but ultimately it's God who brings the rain. How many of you know that? It's God who provides, it's God who speaks, it's God who delivers, it's God God who changes, and so uh, we're totally just dependent upon Him. Uh, when I get up here, I never want to speak to you with human wisdom or, or or clever philosophy or try and impress anybody. We're simply just getting up here, declaring the truth of the gospel, and knowing and believing that it is the power of God. To those who are being saved. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm gonna declare the gospel, even though it seems like foolishness to some. I just keep declaring it because it is the power of God to those who are being saved. And so when we put our faith in the good news of what Jesus has done for us, there is something more powerful than that, what you can imagine that begins to work in your heart. If you're wondering, how am I going to change? How am I, I going to face this situation? How am I going to get through this season? How am I going to become the person that God wants me to be? How am I going to walk in the fullness of my destiny? How am I going to see my, my family uh, uh, just be restored? How am, I going to, how am I going to move forward in my career? How am I going to deal with life on a daily basis? The gospel is the power of God to those who believe. It is the power of God. It's going to do something in you this morning. And I genuinely believe that. I believe it because I know that it is always working in me as I, I preach the gospel to myself every day. Sometimes I have to do that. I, you know, I don't know if you ever have mornings where you wake up and you're just like, what is wrong? I just feel like something's wrong. And there's nothing wrong, but you're just like, something's wrong. You know? And you go through you know, all the possible things that why you feel that way. And, uh, and you realize that there's a spirit of discouragement that often just comes against us, uh, especially as believers. The Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He's always throwing accusations at you and uh, And that's where you just get up and you preach the gospel. You remind yourself of who you are in Jesus, of the love of God that is for you, of the future that God has for you and your family, and there's a spirit of courage and faith that rises up on the inside of you. I'm already preaching, and I haven't even got into the um the the verse yet that I want to read, uh, but I just wanted to also again just welcome our visitors and thank you for being here this morning uh, We're all on a journey together. And this is an unfolding journey. It's a long journey. It's not something that we're we're going to rush through. We want to see more of Jesus. We want to become the people that God has called us to be. And so, wherever you're at on that journey, if you're visiting with us today, we're glad that you're here, and we really hope that you'll continue with us as we go forward um, into learning more about Jesus and understanding more about the calling that He has on our lives. And uh, so, this morning in John chapter number 15. Uh, we see the seventh I am statement of Jesus. Jesus said to the Pharisees, uh, he, he came against them. And, 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 and in this, this conversation that was quite a heated conversation, Jesus says to him, before Abraham was, because they asked him, are you greater than Moses who gave us the law? Are you greater than these? And Jesus says, you know, before Abraham was, I am. He's like, I am the creator. That's how John starts his book. As he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and he dwelt amongst us. He starts off by saying that I, that, that Jesus is the creator of heaven and earth. And Jesus confirms this by saying, before Abraham even was, you're looking to Abraham, you think you're children of Abraham, but I am greater than Abraham. I am God. I am the creator of heaven and earth. So Jesus then continually, he, he, he says, I am, which means that, I am who I am was how God revealed himself to Moses, saying that I am this all-sufficient one, that God doesn't need anything to sustain him. He sustains himself. He was uncreated. Nobody created him. He's existed outside of time. He created space and he created time himself. And, uh, and this is, this is who, who God is. And so Jesus makes these I am statements where he says, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He, he keeps talking about who he is um, and, and who he is to us and for us. And here we have another one of those statements in John 15, verse 1 to 5. I'm going to share a message with you this morning called the fruit of rest. The fruit of rest. John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. But in me, you can bear much fruit. God has got an awesome destiny for each of our lives. God has got amazing fruit that he wants to to produce in our lives through his grace, through his life in us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But in him, we can produce the fruit of righteousness. We're going to talk a little bit about our destiny this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about the gospel. We're going to talk about what it is that God wants to do in our hearts and through our lives. So uh, let's just pray together and then we'll get into this. Jesus, we thank you so much this morning that even in this very moment, we can recognize the fact that apart from you, we can do nothing. In that sense, God, we humble ourselves before you right now, Lord God. We come before you and we, and we recognize that, that we cannot uh, uh, enter into heaven. We cannot walk with you on our, on our own merits, Lord God. That we cannot have fellowship with God uh, in our own strength. That we cannot do the things that you've called us to do or, or fulfill the destiny that you've placed on our life or on our church. Apart from the grace and the life that flows through Jesus Christ. So we just, we just ask this morning, God, that that grace would flow in this place, that it would speak to every heart, that it would deliver us from striving, that it would deliver us from, from, uh, from trying to do things in a self-righteous way, and that instead we would rest in the finished work of the cross. I just pray that the gospel would take root in our hearts and lives this morning and that the fruit would be the result of, of that faith in the gospel. We thank you this morning, Jesus, that you're speaking to us as a church. You're revealing yourself more and more and more every week. And we're grateful for how you are leading us on this journey. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So I've I've told this story a couple of times before, but um, I read this this verse, and and what I do is I prepare my messages normally already on a Sunday when I finish one message I already I'm really looking forward a couple of weeks and and reading the the next chapters and seeing what God is saying, and and, and 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 over the the course of the week I'll read it a couple more times. So I've I've read John 15 a couple times this week, and I'm I'm keep asking Jesus to show me more out of it and to lead me more. And there was something there was a, a specific instance that. Came up uh, in my in my memory as I was reading this verse and and the journey that that Jesus has for each of us and I, and it was when um, my boy Eli was about two years old and some of you may have heard the story but it, it just it crystallized. Uh, this, this verse or this understanding for me again, where I took Eli to the zoo for the first time. Um, I bunked school with him, uh, took him out of school on a Friday morning. You know, I never want to go to the zoo uh, when it's like packed. I want to be, I want to be able to walk around and have it nice and quiet. And so it was such an awesome thing. I, 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 that morning I, we, I said to him, Woke him up and said, boy, we're not going to school today. We're going to the zoo. If you've ever wanted to see, you know, a two-year-old's face light, light up, that's the way to do it. And his face was just like, really, are you? Are we going to the zoo? And, and just, he was so excited until he fell asleep in the car on the way there. Um, and it took me a while to wake him up again. But then he got excited again later on. And um, we're walking through the zoo, and he just wants to see everything. He wants to go and, and, and look at all the different animals. And I remember us specifically saying, that we wanna go and see the tigers. And there was this new tiger enclosure at the Joburg Zoo. And, uh, and so he is just marching up to these tigers, but he's so excited that he has walked about 20 meters ahead of me. And, uh, and I'm coming along up the hill and he just wants to see these tigers. He's kind of in his own little world, just enjoying the morning. And uh, at that moment, uh, there were two tigers that they had separated. The one tiger was in a small enclosure outside of the main enclosure. And at that moment, these two tigers started fighting with one another. And they were fighting with each other through the fence. And right next to the tiger enclosure is kind of like a horticultural uh, open area with different plants and different indigenous plants, whatever. So there's like an open area of trees and plants and right next to that, the tiger enclosure. And as a two-year-old, he hears tigers fighting, which is an incredibly violent sound. Um, and he looks to the right, and all he sees are, is open bush. And he reckons the tiger is out, and it's on its way to eat him, right? Um, that was the conclusion he made in that moment. And so as confident as he was, walking forward and saying, I've got this, Dad, we're going to go see these tigers. The moment that trouble came, um, he turned around And I'll never forget the look in his face because he looked to me like I was confident walking up this hill. I was confident to go and see these tigers. But in this moment, I recognize I'm in trouble. And he turned around and he just began to cry out. I mean, he had tears coming out of his eyes. Just instantly, he he began to cry and scream out my name and dad and came running. and And I picked him up and I had to remind him. I just checked to make sure that there wasn't actually a tiger I was like, it's okay. Yeah, no, 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 it's okay. Um, and uh, But I'll never forget the way that he looked to me um, in that moment. And it reminded me of when Scripture speaks about looking to. How many times the Scriptures uh, call us to, to look to Jesus or to look uh, unto God or to, to lift up our eyes. This idea of, of, of lifting up. It's an instant recognition. That comes in a moment of life. And it's actually, believe it or not, a moment of faith. It's a moment of losing faith in yourself and then finding faith in a Savior. That's, That's what happens in a moment. There's certain moments in life where we're confident, we're walking along, we've got this thing, we've got it under control. And all of a sudden, something happens in your life. Or you face a situation that's like a roaring tiger coming at you. And you turn around and you realize, I need a Savior. That's the moment of salvation. The moment of salvation isn't us standing in our own strength saying, now I am good enough to be saved. It's a moment of realizing I'm out of my depth. I'm in over my head. I'm in trouble. And in that moment, we look beyond ourselves for salvation. It's that moment where my little boy turned around with that look in his eyes and he said, dad, I need help. And that moment of recognition that you don 't have what it takes that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing that, that without the life of Christ, you would not be able to fight for yourself, you would not be able to to survive by yourself it 's that moment where where the Gospel enters our heart, where the good news is is that when we find ourselves in those positions, when we find ourselves in trouble, when we find ourselves at the end of ourselves broken and and, and sinful and, and um, incapable of, of saving ourselves, when we turn around, our Father is there. That's the gospel, that our Father is there when we turn around, that He hasn't run away, that He hasn't left us, that He was, he was following on behind us all the way along, saying, I know that soon or, sooner or later, He is gonna realize or she is gonna realize that she needs me. And when we turn, the Bible says that God is a very present help in time of need, very present, not just present, very present, he's intent, he, he, he is with you, he looks at you, he cares about you. And, and in that moment that we realize that we need him, God is there to scoop us up into his arms, like the prodigal son who fell into the arms of his father. And the Bible says that his father kissed him in the neck, but didn't just kiss him, that, that Greek word there means kissed repeatedly, he kissed him much, kissed him much. God comes running when we need him, when we recognize our need for him. And his embrace is, it's convincing. For those of you that still need to be convinced this morning, the embrace of God through the gospel is an overwhelming embrace. Sometimes I kiss my boys so much that they'll literally say, okay, enough. Like Leo specifically, his favorite thing when I, when I hold him and I kiss him, he goes, enough, enough, you know, and <laughs> And, and, so, and that's the way that, that God will convince you. It's not, I'm, I might be loved by God. I, I might be saved. I might be okay. No, his embrace of you is to the point where you'll be like, okay, enough, enough. Like, I get it. You love me, God. He doesn't relent in showing us the love that he has for us. But we need to come to that place of recognition, to recognize that we need help to recognize that we're out of our depth, to be honest, to be vulnerable. And to understand that we can only be saved by Jesus. We can only remain saved by Jesus through His grace. This is why I'm always encouraging people to stop trying to save themselves. If if you're here, it's not because we're trying to help you to save yourself a little bit more than what you were before you came in here. We're trying to get you to a place where you stop trying to save yourself so that Jesus can be the one to save you. And once he's saved you, stop trying to keep yourself saved. Let him be the one who holds you. That's what we're, what we're trying to get you to. That's what rest is. That's what understanding. That's what faith is. You stop trying to save yourself and you trust in the salvation that comes from Jesus. I was reading uh, some stuff by, by Watchman Nee last night and, and Watchman Nee has this place where he talks about people um, who are drowning and how if you wanna save a person who is drowning, oftentimes it's best to wait until they are completely exhausted trying to save themselves before you try and save them. Because if you've ever tried to save a person that's drowning, oftentimes they'll almost drown the person that's trying to save them, because they'll, they'll just hang on them and they'll be kicking and they'll be screaming and they'll be in a, in a state of panic. And so I've even heard about some lifeguards that would swim up to a person that's drowning and punch them in the face, which seems like, I thought you came here to help me and you're punching me in the face, but it's to bring them to the end of their own strength. Because for as long as you are fighting, you're difficult to save. But the moment we stop, the moment we reach that point of exhaustion, the moment we're knocked out in our own strength, then you can be saved. And so God wants us to stop trying to save ourselves so that He can save us. And so He'll often wait. He'll go, okay, keep kicking. Keep swimming. Keep, Keep treading water. But then there comes the moment, the turnaround moment. That's actually what repentance means. To turn around. It comes from the Hebrew word teshuva, which means let's return. Let's go back to God. We've been running out towards the tiger cages on our own. Let's go back. Let's go back to our dad. Turn around moment in your life. We recognize we need him. And we allow Jesus to save us. So the Bible often uses this phrase, looking to or looking unto. And that's the part that caught my eye. It's, it's a lifting up of your eyes. Like, like you're looking at yourself. You're looking at your own footsteps. You're trying to measure everything out. And there comes a moment where you take your eyes off of yourself and you look unto Jesus. You look unto God. I want to show you a couple of places in Scripture where it shows us this. Um, and what's interesting is that it's the same Greek word, which I'll mention in a moment, um, for in most of these cases. In Psalm 121 verse 1, David writes this and he says, I lift up my eyes. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I'm in trouble. I'm looking up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Savior. The I am. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, looking to Jesus. I lift up my eyes looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Who, Who founded your faith? jesus did in your own heart he's the one who is the originator of your faith and the perfecter he perfects the faith the good work that god has begun in you he will be faithful to complete it what is our job looking to jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame which is a nice way of saying he shamed shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god John 11 verse 41, which we, we covered a couple of weeks back, says, So they took away the stone, this is at Lazarus' tomb, and Jesus lifted up his eyes. He lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Looking to the hills, lifting up his eyes, looking to Jesus. Luke 17, 13. This is the, the lepers that were in desperate need of, of salvation, of healing. And as Jesus was passing by, it says in, in verse 13, uh, and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Lifted up, lifting up their eyes, lifting up your voice, lifting up a cry toward, to, to God. Now that lift up your eyes, that lifting up, is the Greek word eru, eru. And the Greek word eru, I've actually got some, um, some information on it there. If we can just put that up. That's from the Strong's Concordance. But you can see that the word eru means to raise up, to lift up, to raise from the ground, to take up stones, like in John 8, uh, 59, to raise up serpents, to raise up a dead body. In Acts 20, when it says that they raised up the body, it means... It's that same word, eru. And it means to raise upward, to elevate, to lift up uh, the voice, to cry out. Um, there's, there's diff- to lift up the eyes, you can see. So this, this word, eru, is to lift your eyes to the hills. Lift your eyes to Jesus. Look unto Jesus. And what it really speaks about is faith. It, it speaks about, I can't do this. I need somebody to lift me up. I need salvation. So when my boy turned around and he looked to me, If I was Greek, I would say he errored me, however you would say it. (laughs) That moment is a moment of, I need help. I need help. He needs to be lifted up in that moment. And so it really describes a recognition of a need beyond what our own strength can provide. So Jesus says this in that verse that we read in John 15 from verses one to five, he says, I am the, the true vine. And every branch that does not bear fruit, it says he takes away. But guess what the word takes away is in the Greek. And you can all Google this and go check out your Bible concordances and, and all the, you know, the, the Bible reference books that, you, that I know that you have at home stashed away somewhere. Um, The word takes away is the word eru. It's the word lifts up. And what it essentially speaks about is if you're planting a vine, and those of you that have visited vineyards or that have um, some background or some knowledge about vineyards, you'll know that initially the, the, the vine is planted in the ground, and for three years the vine produces no fruit. And if a vine lies on the ground, it's incapable of producing fruit. But Jesus says, I am the true vine, you're the branches, my father is the vine dresser. And anybody that does not bear fruit, he comes along and he lifts it up. He lifts it up. He takes it up off of the ground, from the ground, so that it may produce fruit. There's a restoration in that. There is a redemption in that. There's the gospel in that. That without Jesus, we're all on the ground. Without Jesus, we're incapable of of producing anything worthwhile. All that we will produce is selfishness, self-righteousness, greed, the works of the flesh. Without Jesus, we're just on the ground in the dust. But the gospel says that our father is the vine dresser who lifts us up off of the ground, out of the dust. You know what's really interesting is that when Israel moved into the promised land as the people of God, their main enemy in the promised land were the Philistines. Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistine armies were constantly coming against them. Most of their early battles were against the Philistines. The word Philistine means from the ground. From the dust. What oppresses us as the people of God is 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 the, the ground being being put on the ground, being humiliated, being being put down under condemnation. I remember um, playing a rugby game once and uh, against a school which shall not be named, and and I was I got I got tackled by a certain guy, and as the guy got up, he took my head and he just pushed it down on the ground for a couple of seconds. I mean, the tackle was enough. He had tackled me, he had brought me down, but what he wanted to do was more than just bring me to the ground. He wanted to intimidate me. Essentially, he wanted to humiliate me and, and, and cause me to, to pull back and to say, okay, okay, you win, you, you guys can have this game. We'll, we'll try again on the next one. And, and so there was this art of intimidation where after the tackle, in getting up, he held my head down onto the ground for a couple of seconds without me being able to, to lift my head up. And that's ultimately the same idea here is that condemnation in your life, the Philistines of your life is when the devil wants to come and hold your head down on the ground, keep you in the dust, keep you in the dirt, humiliate you, condemn you. And let us settle this as a fact this morning that under condemnation, none of us can produce fruit. Under the condemnation of being pushed into the ground, none of us can see the fruit of righteousness flourish in our lives. We need to look to. We need to eros. We need to, to eru. Eros is something else. I'll talk about that next time. It's an, it's an awesome topic. Um, we need to eru. We need to, we need to be lifted up out of condemnation. So for those of us that are being condemned, that are, that are condemned by our own sinfulness, and, and outside of Christ, there is condemnation. We're condemned by our own actions. We're guilty. And, and we're, it would be just for us to be judged. But the gospel declares that Jesus became sin for us and took our condemnation upon himself so that in him we are lifted up. In him, we are no longer condemned. In him, we are made the righteousness of God by our faith in Christ Jesus. In him, the Bible says in Romans 8 verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. He's lifted us up. Eru, he's lifted us up. And so one of the most powerful weapons that the enemy will bring against your life is condemnation. That's his way of stunting your fruit bearing. Of preventing you from walking in the fullness of what God has for you. And condemnation kills. Condemnation kills the fruit that God wants to bring forth in your life. As long as you believe that you still have to to work hard to be good enough for God to to work in your life. Or for God to work through your life. Because how many of you know that if you try very hard to be good, that's when you realize that you aren't. As long as you're trying in your own strength, condemnation will keep you in the dust. But when you can eru, when you can wake up in the morning and go, I made a mistake, or I haven't lived the perfect life, or I didn't have the greatest week, or I'm struggling in a certain area, in a certain area but I believe that Jesus has lifted me up, you don't allow condemnation to take root. And instead, you take root in the gospel. And there is the work of God, the the purposes of God that begin to flourish in your life. Because it's apart from yourself, it's in him. It's only by grace that we are lifted up. It's only by by grace that we can live holy lives. Another point that I want to make absolutely clear this morning. If you think that you are going to live a holy life in your own strength, you're trying to produce fruit in the dust. We're passionate about holiness. That's why we preach grace. Because we know that apart from the the life of the vine, the true vine, Jesus himself, we can do nothing. It's by the grace of God that we produce fruit. It's only by the grace of God that we can live holy lives. It's only by the grace of God that we can produce the fruit of righteousness and honor God with everything that we do. Watchman Nee, and I was a little bit stuck on Watchman Nee. I don't know why, but some of the stuff he said just kept coming back to me. I've read so many of his books and stuff, and as I was preparing this, it just kept coming back to me. So I wanted to share this quote with you from Watchman Nee in his book, The Normal Christian Life. He says this, he says, God will not give me humility. All patience, or holiness, or love, as separate investments of His grace. He has given only one gift to meet our need: His Son, Christ Jesus. How many of you have said, "God, give me patience?" God, let me know your love. God, uh, do this in my life. God, give me faith. Give me what I need, God. Give me humility. Give me holiness. I want to live a holy life, God. It's not like Jesus comes into your life and then separately, when you ask for it, gives you holiness. And then separately, when you ask for it, gives you humility. All the things that we want, all the things that we desire are in Christ. And this is what it says, I think it's in Corinthians, where, where Paul says something so powerfully. He says, in Jesus, we don't have a yes and a no. In Jesus, it's not yes and no, but a resounding yes. All the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, which means it shall be so. All of the promises of God all of the fruit of righteousness, if you wanna live a changed life, if you wanna live a holy life, if you wanna overcome sin, if you wanna overcome addiction, if you wanna overcome things that you struggle with, if you wanna overcome negative thinking, if you wanna overcome whatever it is that you feel in your life that you need breakthrough in, it's not like God gives you separate investments. What he gives you is the gospel, what he gives you Jesus. And in his grace, every single promise is your inheritance because he lifts you up. The fruit is produced by the faith. The fruit is produced by the grace of God. So that means that we can't take the glory for it. Because that's what people want to do when they are living lives that seem to be holy. Is they want to take the glory for it. Okay, well, I live live a holy life. You know, if you're saying that, saying that is something that's, that's... Pride, that's pretty unholy. You know, saying that you're holy is pretty unholy. Saying that you're holy in Christ, totally different matter. That's why Paul says, I boast in my weakness. I want you to know, this is not me. It's Christ in me. He says this so powerfully in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 28. It says, God chose what is low and despised in the world on the ground. In the dust. He chose the things that are low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring nothing, things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. One translation says that the flesh will never again boast in the presence of God. In other words, you'll never stand before God and say, Oh, it's, it's because I was so high and lifted up. It's because I was so good. I was such, of such upstanding moral character. No, God chooses what is low and on the ground and he lifts it up so that when we are lifted up, all we can do is give glory to him. We recognize that it's by him. Verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> You're only in him because of him. Who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I've got to tell you that I have heard many, many preachers say, and I've even possibly preached this myself in the past, that sanctification and righteousness and redemption is my job. Especially sanctification. Yes, God saved me, but I need to go through the process of sanctification and I need to to change my life and I need to look. But this says that Jesus became to us the wisdom from God. He is righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So when God saves you, when Jesus steps into your life, when he eros you, when you look unto Jesus, what he does is not only save you in a moment, but also change you over time. His salvation is both instant and progressive. I don't know about you, but that just brings like an absolute courage to my heart. Because I'm like, sometimes I worry about myself. Where am I going to end up? What am I going to look like five years from now? How's life going to roll me and change me and maybe turn me into something I don't want to be? No, He is the one who eros us. He both saves you and He changes you. He both saves and redeems. He reaches in and then He changes and, and, and transforms Verse 31, so that, because he is the one who saves and sanctifies and redeems, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If we're going to brag about anything, we're not going to brag about how good we are. You'll never come to Anchor Church on a Sunday morning and hear somebody come up here and say, you know what, God just blesses us because we're so good. God, God just just blesses us because we just keep doing everything right, man. That's why it happens. No. God chose the low, and He chose that which was despised in the world, and He lifts us up, saves us, sanctifies us, redeems us, so that if we have anything to boast in, it's in what He has done. He gets all of the glory. That's how you can recognize whether somebody's preaching the gospel or preaching a self-righteous version of the gospel, which isn't the gospel, it's a perversion, as Paul says in Galatians, of the true gospel. The true gospel says we're nothing, Jesus is everything. Our faith is in him. We look to Jesus, the founder, the author, and the finisher, perfecter of our faith. He does both. And he causes us through that to bear fruit That people would look at your life and go, no ways. <laughs> There's no ways this person's serving in church. Come on, I've had, I've had so many people on the journey with us before where they, they would get messages from friends, phone calls from friends, Facebook messages from friends, where the people are literally like, you, are you going to church? Did I just see you post something about Jesus? I, I Just clarify this for me because are you, are you making a mockery? Are you joking? Because we know what you used to be like. and we can see that there's a change even in my life even though I've had a relationship with Jesus uh, for as long as I can remember and even as a child I had faith in Jesus there was a time when my faith became so self-righteous that I was actually just not a great guy to be around judgmental I condemned people I was the one pushing their heads into the ground Until God revealed the gospel to me by his grace in increasing measure. And people that meet me today, they're still sometimes like, oh, hey, Adrian. And then, and then they're like, but you're, you're different now. We don't feel condemned around you, we don't feel like you're judging us anymore. It happened to Paul. He was out there to condemn people. And when he walked into certain situations in the beginning, the disciples are like, is this a trick, bro? Are you really a Christian? Somebody else had to come along and go, no, 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 we've actually heard him preach. He really believes in Jesus. It's not a a trick. That's what happens when the fruit, when God lifts us up and and the fruit of our righteousness begins to show as people see that there's a change, that God has genuinely done something in us. And, And this is the process by which God causes us to become fruitful. He lifts us up out of our sin, out of the dust, out of our condemnation and engrafts us into the true vine, into his life, into his grace, into the power that flows through him. And then we begin bearing fruit. Maybe just little grapes to start off with. Maybe just small things, it's a, it's a journey, it's a process. For those, if, if you plant a vine three years, no fruit, it's just putting down roots, just roots. And sometimes you might get frustrated in your own life to say, why haven't I changed yet? Why am I not seeing all the fruit that I want to see? Just put your roots, just keep putting your roots into the gospel. Just be, be found established in Him, rooted and grounded in His love. That's where our roots go to, in His love. And then there's a process by which we begin to bear fruit. And the Bible says that that process involves pruning. That God would sometimes come and, and take certain things out of our lives or take us through certain seasons where it's not always nice. I can imagine that, that pruning isn't a, a pleasant experience for a branch or for a vine. But God takes away that which no longer bears fruit in our lives or won't bear fruit going forward that He knows. And He changes things. He's, he's working in us. And, and for a lot of us, that can, be, uh, can, can, can sound like a, a scary thing unless you know the love of your Father. You know what he is doing is helpful. Even though it may hurt in the moment, He's causing us. So we go from just being lifted out of the ground, bearing fruit, to being able to bear more fruit through this pruning process, and I love the fact that the Bible says that those whom the Lord loves, those whom God loves, He disciplines. Those in whom the Lord delights, He disciplines. And a lot of people will focus on say, You see, the, the Lord will discipline you, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you step out of line, He's going to whack you. But that word discipline, again, means to bring close. It's actually very similar to the word eru. It means it's like a limb that's broken how you would take a limb that's broken and put a splint on it and put it in a sling and immobilize it for a while so that it can heal. It's an act of grace. And what I love is, everybody always emphasizes the discipline. They don't emphasize the delight. Those in whom the Lord delights. Like I discipline my boys because I love them. But more than that, much, much more than that, I just delight in them. I just love them. And so it's a bringing close, it's a lifting up, it's a, it's a fixing to the vine so that we can produce more fruit. And that's the journey that we're on, that we can bear more fruit. I just wanna go back to that verse that I read in the beginning. It says that it says that he, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, he takes away, he lifts up. And every branch that does not bear fruit, that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God will take you on a journey where your, your life begins to produce more and more of the fruit of righteousness. He lovingly prunes as the master vine dresser, lovingly increases our capacity to be fruitful. And what, is, what, are, what are these fruit? What is the fruit that we produce? It's the fruit of righteousness. It's love. It's joy. It's patience. It's kindness. It's all the stuff that we're so aware of that we lack but through him we can, we can have. All these things we cannot do in our own strength. You cannot be loving and patient and kind, genuinely authentic in your own strength, but through Jesus. So fruit in your life will not come by trying, but instead by being, by believing, by resting. It's the natural outcome of being grafted into the vine. Like when you take a branch and you engraft it into the vine, you don't need to sit in front of that branch day after day after day with an instruction and say to the branch, hey, branch, just to remind you, you should be bearing fruit. <laughs> no, naturally, because it's engrafted, the fruit will come. Our role is to simply abide, to simply have faith. So Jesus says this, which is weird in the story. And I always love to look at things that don't kind of seem to fit because he's talking about a vine. He's talking about the vine dresser. He's talking about taking away that which, uh, or lifting up that which doesn't produce fruit. He's talking about pruning. And then he just says, uh, he just throws this out there. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Doesn't that seem out of place? He's not talking about cleaning here. He's not talking about dirt or cleaning. or He just goes, so he goes, hey, any branch that doesn't bear fruit, I lift up, I prune, I produce, because you're already clean, because of the word, because of the gospel that I have spoken to you. And I don't know if you remember, but two chapters, in other words, two weeks ago, (laughs) Jesus was sitting with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, and that moment, it's still the same conversation, they're still in the same room. It's the same night. It's one long conversation that Jesus is having. And just now he washed their feet. Just before he said this, he washed their feet. And in washing their feet, Peter doesn't want Jesus to wash his feet up front. He's like, no, 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 you're the son of God. You cannot wash my feet. And then Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, in other words, if you're not engrafted in me, if you don't let me become your righteousness, you have no part in me. So he goes, "Okay, Jesus, wash my head and and and, and my whole body also." Just just okay, let's have a full bath. And Jesus goes, "No, you don't need that either. You're the one who has already bathed; does not need to be washed again. He just needs to wash his feet." In other words, it's not like we lose our salvation and then we need to be resaved, and then we lose our salvation; and we need to be resaved. No, we are already clean because of the faith that we have in the word of god but god sanctifies he does wash some areas he does cleanse our walk with him he does sanctify us so here he goes if you don't bear fruit i'm going to lift you up and when you i've lifted you up i'm going to prune you so that you produce more fruit why because you're already clean he their shoes are still off while he's saying this you're already clean in christ so once we put our faith in the word of the gospel and believe what Jesus has done for us, the Bible says, we are cleansed of all unrighteousness. We looked at that verse uh, two weeks ago where we, where we looked at the, uh, uh, I think it's Hebrews chapter 10 where it says, "For one, by one single offering, he has forever perfected those who are being sanctified. You're already clean. You're lifted up, you're brought near You're connected to the vine. You're the righteousness of God, which means you are in right standing with God. You don't need to get into right standing with him and then have a relationship. You are already clean. And when you genuinely believe that, when by faith you've been lifted up, the fruit starts to emerge naturally. So this is why Charles Spurgeon said, and Watchman Nee has repeated it many times on this, that right believing leads to right living. If you wanna see the fruit, you've gotta believe in what Jesus has done for you. It's the faith that releases the fruit. And it'll surprise you. It'll surprise you when you reach certain moments in your life where you're like, normally I would've reacted that way. It's almost like you don't recognize what God is doing while he's doing it. You're changing over time. And you don't always see it, so you can get impatient and frustrated with yourself. But when you look back, you realize, I am different. I have changed. I'm no longer responding in this way or acting in this way or struggling with this thing. I have a weird desire to serve God. I have a weird desire to be in church, to read my Bible, to, to be involved in the life of God and in his mission in this world. Why? It's because there is a fruit that's working in you that God is producing. So Jesus says, abide in me as I in you. Abide in me. He says there are branches that do not abide. And we don't have time to go through the whole chapter today, but there are branches that don't abide. And those branches, there are branches that are removed. They're taken away because there's no life in them. Why is there no life in them? Because they're not in Christ. God's desire is that every person in this world would be engrafted into Him. But there are those who don't put their faith in Jesus. And so cannot be lifted up. And if my, my boys, we have this tree outside of our, uh, of our house. It's, it's really just a quarter of a tree now uh, because my boys would break branches off um, to you know, either play with or to make things out of. And so this tree has gone from this fully flourishing tree to it's, it's pretty messed up right now. But, but when you take a branch, when a branch is removed from the life, there is no life in it. It, it withers. Like with Judas, where Jesus says, all of you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. He says, you are clean already because of the word I've spoken, but not all of you. Because he knew that Judas didn't recognize the worth of the gospel. He didn't recognize or put his faith in what Jesus had done. So just to, to clarify that. Here's what Jesus is telling us to do. To abide in him. And what we often do as Christians is that we turn abiding into work. Work. Whereas abiding is not work, it's rest. It's trust. If you want to abide in Jesus, some of you are saying, "Okay, I've got to abide. I've got to abide. Okay, this week I'm going to abide. What am I going to do? I'm going to abide. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to." You see, you read your Bible, yes, but not so that you can be in Christ. You read it because you are already in Christ. You're already clean. You work. We serve, we work hard here at Anchor Church. I can promise you, you're gonna ask our team. We work hard, but not because we're striving, not so that God can accept us, because God has already accepted us. Do you understand the key difference there? One is striving, it's fear, it's we're in danger, it's we might be lost. Another is we're the righteousness of God. We have been lifted up. This is a joy to us. Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you so that your joy may be complete. Complete joy, no fear. Religion is work, faith is rest. I've got to tell you that as a pastor, I experience the temptation to stress a lot. It's hard not to stress, especially planting a church. Especially when you're dealing with all kinds of different situations in, in, in many different people's lives. Just, just what you face weekly and, and, and what we face as a church trying to be established in the city. I experience the stress of being a pastor. I experience in my life the stress of being a parent. I, I experience the stress of being a husband. I experience the stress of being alive. The stress of Joburg. I experience all the same stresses that you do plus maybe some other ones as well. And I got to tell you that for me as a person, my natural tendency is to figure stuff out in my own strength. My natural tendency is to sit down and say, let's make a plan. Let's write some stuff down. Let's get things done. Like I love to act because it makes me feel better. Even if I just like fix a light bulb, I'm like, I'm moving forward in this world. I've done something. And so for me, and I'm just being honest with you this morning, I genuinely get tempted to operate in my own strength. And that's why I've got to preach the gospel to myself every day. Stop striving and start resting so that I'm abiding in the vine because apart from him, I can do nothing. That's what faith is. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We look to Jesus, we run to Jesus. We begin to understand what it means to be saved and what it means to be saved by grace as the Bible declares that we are. I wanted to read you just a few words of a poem called The Force of Grace. I'm not reading the whole, the whole thing, but just something in it just spoke so powerfully to me. Uh, one of my favorite poems ever written. It says this, it says, we do not see the scale We touch what is visible through our tunnel eyes and say grace. But we see only a fragment of the grand scandalous tapestry that God has woven together over time. The fabric of the world itself. The very reason the stars are strung together. When we choose to put one foot in front of the next, it's grace. This gracious glory buried within us, beating on our ribs to speak of his wonder with this touch life is given. The giver's love is this cloak, this sea of blue-green forgetfulness, this face of majesty, this crackling, roaring thunder. Grace, his sound. Glory, his bright display. Breaks and creates and finds us and we are found the split curtain, the open back, the mingling of blood and water, the flood that destroys the world we've built, all the earth submitting to his power, the cross, grace wrapped in triumphant glory. He is the eyes shut embrace, the driving rain, the wind that blows, but only at his word. At this same fury, the sin thrashing storm, is the tempest that bows to wash our feet. And this same fury, the sin thrashing storm is the tempest that bows to wash our feet. The grace of God, he is the eye shut embrace. All of this, the, the very fact that we're here is by His grace. The very fact that we can walk forward one step at a time is by His grace. The very fact that sin has been thrashed in our lives by this the, the, the ferocious love of God is by His grace. And that same majestic, powerful, overwhelming force of grace, that storm that comes against unrighteousness, is this earthly Jesus who bows down to wash our feet. Whoever abides in me, Jesus says, and I in him, he it is, in verse five it says, that bears much fruit. We went from not bearing fruit, to being lifted up and bearing some fruit, more fruit. And he brings us to the place where we bear much fruit For apart from him, we can do nothing. So don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your journey. Abide in the vine. Our job is to feed on Jesus. To feed on the gospel. John 15 verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. We abide in him and then his fruit abides in us and in our lives. How amazing is it that when God does something in your life, when he produces the fruit of righteousness, it's not fruit that comes and goes. It's not, it's not fruit that can, that can be taken out, it's abiding fruit. Your life will be changed forever. You'll never go back to what you used to be. The fruit abides. We want to be fruitful. We want to live fruitful lives. We want to do all the things that God has called us to do. We want to live holy lives that look different, where we love one another. And by the way, that's the main fruit. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I command. And what, he, his, what was his command? That you love one another as I have loved you. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll do the 10 commandments. He said, if you love me, you'll do what I command. Love one another. There's a fruit. There's a, there's a life that comes when we know who we are in Jesus and trust in his love. And that is an abiding fruit. So we want a church that looks different, that sounds different, that, that, that lives in holiness, that lives in righteousness, that bears fruit. But it's only, be, it's only gonna happen As we abide in him. Because apart from him we can do nothing. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Let's pray together this morning.